Welcome to everybody out there to the Big Book Roundtable in the RICO 12 family of recovery resources. I'm really grateful to have Nikki and David here around this table with me. A little bit about this this project. Um, We're going through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And this book and the the concepts and principles and teachings of this book are valid for anyone, anywhere, anytime I have come to learn. So if you don't identify as a quote-unquote alcoholic, don't go away. Check this out. See how, see how this applies to your life. And uh, so today we're going to continue in our reading in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're in Bill's story, bottom of page 12. We'll start there. But before we get into that, I'd like to have Nikki just jump in and say something real quick to introduce yourself and say hi. Hi, I'm Nikki M. And I'm just grateful to be alive. I'm a grateful member and I'm a I'm I'm a multidisciplinary addict, which is I hear my friends Justin and a couple other fellows say that. And you know, alcohol and drugs aren't powerful enough for me. Have you ever chopped up a human and snorted it? If you do, call me. Thank you. Well, Nikki, thank you for for introducing yourself. All right, uh, David, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what's. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. David G. I'm an alcoholic addict of many sorts. Uh, very grateful to be here at this roundtable with you and with Miss Nikki. Always, always a great pleasure for me. Uh, been sober for a long, long time. Uh, emotionally sober, not such a long, long time. But you know what? I am today, and I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm glad to be here. Hell, I, I like getting honest about this deal. If you've been here for 30 years and you ain't ever had any problems, call me. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Oh, this is good. Absolutely. All right, guys. Um, before I jump into the reading, anybody out there who who wants what Nikki has, who wants what David has, who wants to reach out to them, you can uh, get in contact through them by sending an email to rico12pod at gmail.com, R-E-C-O-1-2-P-O-D at gmail.com. I can connect you with them. There are also links to some of the projects they've got going on there in the show notes of this podcast. Now let's get into reading. We're reading once again from Bill's story. Grab your big book, get out your pen, highlighter, take some notes because, man, we're doing some really good stuff in here. Okay, bottom of page 12. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humbling willingness to have him with me, and he came. But soon, the the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since. How blind I had been. At the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. Treatment seemed wise, for I showed signs of delirium tremens. There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him, to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. My schoolmate visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was... I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my 
problems as he would have me. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my requests bore on my usefulness to others. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. All right, we're going to pause there, and this is the reading that we're going to go over today. Nikki, let's start with you today. What are what are some of the things that you are pulling out of this that uh, that jump out at you? Thank you, uh, Justin, for that great reading, and and I'm I'm just so I'm excited always to hear David because he gives a history with that, which is something that I it's not my strong suit. I'm still learning all the history. I mean, this is a lifetime, but I am Bill W. Let's just start there. This is my story because for a brief moment. I needed and wanted God. Now, now I know I have that highlighted. I have to need and want God 24-7, every day, all day. And as we talked about in our last episode, if you don't like the word God, well, it's just a word. Change it. I like to put spiritual principles in there. And then I down here where it says, you know, but the sense of his, capital H, of this presence of God, my presence of God gets blotted out by worldly clamors. What are those things? Well, my friend's daughter was taken and raped and cut up and found on Toronto's Island in garbage bags. Currently right now, I have a baby in my home. Downstairs, I have some fellows watching so I could record because her mother has chosen to go to the crack house rather than to care for her. She's in my custody in this moment. These worldly clamors block me from God. So do the sex and checks. So does the finance and romance. So does the men and the money. But mostly the, the things within myself, my anger, my fear, my self-loathing, all of that blocks me from God. How blind I have been. See, those days are gone for me. I don't do that anymore. The next paragraph, they talk about separation. Well, when you're addicted to a man, it's very hard to go to a hospital and say, check me and I'm addicted to my coworker. <laughs> and so when you're in human resources in a union, it's hard to fire both of you too. I mean, you can see where these problems go. I had to take four months off work. It's called a doctor's note because I'm going to kill myself and kill my lover. And in, in Canada, um, you know, mental health is a big issue here and they will help you do that. So go see your properly appointed authority to get separated because in the doctor's opinion, we read, you know, you need to, it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before we're approached, before we can even think clearly. This next paragraph, therefore I offered myself. This is just the third step prayer. And we talked about that before. The big book constantly repeats itself. It's like, I offer myself to thee, to build with me, to do with me. It's it's all there in that third step prayer. And I love the next paragraph because it, again, it goes through the steps, you know, willingness, admit my wrongs. And it tells me again, later in the book, when I'm making my amends, never to be critical of anybody. And it says it right here. And I, Nikki, stop criticizing. See, my mouth is the biggest problem as my, you know, as our friend David G said, he was sober for 30 years, but his emotional sobriety wasn't at par. This takes time. And in my utmost ability, perfectionists, we don't even use that word. It's perform this work, God's work well not perfect. And then I, you know, I'll end here where I, I love this line. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. See, my common sense is not to care about anybody. 
Today I canceled all my plans to take care of this baby. I canceled my whole week. You know, I'm leaving next week to go to Luxembourg. I called my boyfriend. I'm like, can I bring the baby with me? He's like, Nikki, get into your senses and do what you need to do. And that's that's common sense. See, I'm I'm not that girl. I'll, I'll find ways to keep the baby forever. Common sense is, Nikki, this is your job until Monday with this child. And then you will figure out the next right thing to do. Common sense becomes uncommon sense. It's my common sense to hate the world. Today, I love the world. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Um, really appreciate your insights there. David, give us a little uh, of your thoughts as we read through those paragraphs. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Nikki, so good to hear you always, my friend. I love you. Um, you know, wow, what a powerful part of the book. This is where Bill recovers from a seemingly hopeless state of mind, same as we do when we go through this work, as he did here. And you started it out, the real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me for a brief moment. I'd needed one of God. There'd been a humble willingness to have him with me. And he came. Anytime that I have been humbly willing, I've been on my knees. I've cried out to God in 2019. Man, I was beat to the ground by lust and sexual act and out in years and years of secret. Standing behind the podium telling you how wonderful life was. But in the background, I was in the bed with somebody else's wife other than my own. And uh, so I couldn't get honest about those things. There was so much shame, so much guilt. But that day there was a humble willingness to have him with me and he came. And that's what's so cool. He always shows up. Bill talks about his experience at the cathedral. And if you remember on page one of his story, he talked about that. And he talked about, you know, much moved. Uh, wandered outside. His attention was caught by a dog roll on an old tombstone. And I talked about this when we were in that part of the book a few episodes ago. But here he had a great cathedral experience, and I have this with me here. I'd like to get this to you, Justin, if you want to put it out. Uh, but just remember that he was in England. He was soon to cross the channel to the great unknown. He stood there at the cathedral the day before, crossing hand in hand, and his head was bowed. They were in prayer that day. And... Uh, Something had touched him that he'd never felt before. He'd been wondering in a rare moment in a sober reflection what sense there could be in killing carnage of which he was soon to become an enthusiastic part of. Where could there be the deity and all this stuff? Bill begins to ask. He says, a feeling of despair settled down on me, you know, and, and where was he? Where is this God that they keep talking about? Why did he not come? And then suddenly in that moment of darkness, he was there. And I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but I'm just saying it is in those darkest times in our recovery. You know, if we're struggling in our recovery, but we're sober, hey, there's good news. You know, my elders in the native world always say, man, pray because God's closer than he's ever been to you at that moment. And that's what's going on. You know, Nikki talked about the things that are going on with the baby and the mother and and God is there. That's what's so cool about all this, you know? So anyway, Bill has a second step experience and he ends up at the hospital. He's back at towns one more time. And here he takes the steps and recovers. This is on December the 10th of 1934. And this is when he's in the hospital. And here's where he took the third step. Remember on page eight, he took the first step. On page 12 in the fifth paragraph, he experienced the second step. On page 13, here he experiences three through 12 and recovers there. I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood uh, him to do with me as he would. 
I place myself reservedly under his care and direction. That is step three and what is known as step three in our program today. The first time I did that was in 1995, and it was absolutely life-changing after a year of misery in the rooms. He said, I admit it for the first time of myself, I was nothing. Without him, I was lost. That's a surrender. That's what we do here. Here's where he took the fourth step. I ruthlessly face my sins and become willing to have my newfound friend. Notice that's a capital F, not a small F. So he's not talking about Abby here. He's talking about God, his new found friend. And I found a new friend whenever I went through this process of the work. But this is where he experienced his fourth step. Here's where he experienced six and seven. He asked his newfound friend to take him away, root and branch. And here's the miracle. I've not had a drink. I've not had a drug. I've not lusted. I've not done any of that stuff since. Here's where he took the fifth step with Abby Thatcher. My school mate missed me. I fully acquainted him with my problems and my deficiencies. Here's where he took eight and nine. We made a list of the people I'd hurt, to whom who I'd felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admit my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. There's some things I'm going to have to do here. I can't say, okay, God, you got this. Now I'll just sit back and take it easy. You work all this now. A guy once told me, he said, if you're going to pray for potatoes, David, you better bring a hole because there's going to be some that's planted in the ground. But guess who's going to be the digging? It ain't going to be God. It's going to be you. And so that is where Bill took steps eight and nine. Let's see where he took 10. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within any time that I work a 10th step. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm testing that old thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense thus become uncommon sense. Here's where he took step 11. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. I didn't do that for years. That's a prayer in this book that nobody ever talks about. But in our 11th step, you want to know how to pray and meditate? Right there. Take a look at that. Here's a very good warning for me. And I was talking from a guy to a guy from Egypt today. And he was saying, I, you know, I don't know how to meditate. And I don't know how to do any of this. We already know how, but here's a strong warning. Never am I to pray for myself. And page 87 backs this up again, except my request bore my usefulness on others. Then only might I expect to receive. And that'll be in great measure. That doesn't come from me praying for me. And I even had this backwards. God, help me be a good husband. Help me be a good dad. Help me be a good son. Help me do this. Help me. Now, that sounds all good. Notice how many times the word me, help me be a good husband. Hell, I don't really want to be a good husband. I just want you to think I am. I don't really care about being a great son. I mean, I want to be, but I want my mom to praise me and tell me how wonderful I am. And It's not about any of that. My sponsor told me, you know what, David? It's not your mom. You're her son. It's not your children. You're their dad. You need to start acting this way. And these are the things that I've learned by doing exactly what Bill did here. I've taken these steps and I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind. And I love it. There's nothing more important to me in my life than what we do here in Alcoholics Anonymous through our big book. So thank you, Justin. Thank you. Thank you, David. And good stuff. I'm, I'm, my my book is getting more and more marked up every every time we do this. Thank you so much, both Nikki and David. All right, I've got a couple of questions here that I put down. Nikki, you know, up here we read about the worldly clamors that blot out the presence of our higher power. 
and those worldly clamors being mostly within ourselves. And then uh, as David took us down to the uh, sitting quietly, give us an example of when the worldly clamors start blotting out your peace, your serenity, your connection with God. What does that process of sitting quietly look like to you? Oh, what an awesome question. Okay, this is the exercise. So, and I'll just give the page numbers for those who want to write it down. So when the worldly clamors and I go, God, how could this baby not have a mom? And this just let's use this real life example right now that's happening as we speak. And so I sit quietly and I say, may you find God now, page 59. My book tells me the only place I'm going to find God is right now in this moment. So I get right in this moment. Everyone, this is radical mindfulness. Then I go into page 102. Nikki, your only job is to be of maximum helpfulness. And, you know, as I know, never to pray for myself. I already know that. And as David said, it's on 87. It's all through the book. Never for my own selfish ends. Never. So I, my job is to be of maximum helpfulness. And then I roll into page 77. See, my real purpose is to fit myself to serve God and God's people. So I'm a servant. So I remember what my title is. And it's the highest title on the planet. I know everyone wants Elon Musk's job. I know I wanted Oprah's way back. Beyonce, Queen Bee. No, no, those, that was all the programming of the old world. See, I have new ideals. And my new programming tells me that to be a servant, to serve others wanting nothing in return, is the most satisfying daily living experience that anyone can have. See, I'll roll in too. And then I remember this and I'll just speak it over us. And then we'll move on to David because, you know, what do I do? I told you, I just get into the now. I remember what my job is, what my purpose is. And then I remember the truth. And then I'll read it because I just read it with my sponsee today. It's on page 83. And I, and I asked her today to circle all the wills. It says, we will. That's not a might. That's not a could. I will be amazed. It says, I will not. That's not a maybe. It's not a could or should. It's a will happen. I will comprehend. I will know peace. I will see how my experience can benefit others. Self-pity, uselessness will slip away. I mean, it's just, it just will disappear. You know, life will, you know, my whole attitude will change. Economic insecurity will. These are promises. And here it is. I love this part on page 84. All of those things that I said will materialize. If there's the condition, I work for them. So then what do I remember? I remember that there's a price to be paid and I got to work in self-sacrifice. Again, we'll just circle back to radical. This isn't for the fainted heart people. So um, if you're here, you know my favorite slogan that I invented, lifestyle for a lifetime. Uh, thank you, Nikki, for going through those promises and running through the big book and all those pages using those references in that. That's very helpful. Very helpful. David, the question I have for you comes from basically my own experience in working with others. Many of the people I work with might be considered on the in in many of the rooms as high bottoms. Um, you know, they're but they're losing their lives, they're losing their marriages, they're losing their families, they're losing all these things. 
but this next thing here uh where we where we read in here about ruthlessly facing our sins about admitting for the first time that we're nothing so talk about hesitancy to somebody who maybe on the outside looks like they've got their crap together but their world is falling apart hesitancy to admit nothingness and that i am lost and don't want to really face my sins as 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 is written in here talk to us how you can address those types of situations Absolutely, Justin. If you guys got your book, let's go to page 90 for just a second. The day that you come to me and talk to me, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to go to this page. We're not going to start on page one or the title page. We're going to start right here. And this is called the interview process way before we agree to sponsor anybody. And when it says when you discover a prospect for whatever anonymous it is, find out all you can about him. So that right there, you know, I want to know where you live, where you come from, how long you've been around, how old are you? How many children do you got? Are you married? What's your job? How long have you been in addiction? What, how's that long has that been going on? How's that been working out for you? Have you been through the 12 steps before? How many sponsors have you had? How many times have you tried to do all this? You know, tell me about your, your ups and your downs, your highs and your lows. I want to know everything I can about him. But here's the deal. If you don't want to stop whatever it is you're doing, we're not going to waste time. We're going to stop right here and we're not moving any further. Uh, I ain't going to try to persuade him because, it, you know, I may kill a later opportunity. It says this advice is given for his family also. It says we don't give any advice in these rooms. Bullshit. Yeah, we do. If we're in a spiritual state of mind, we absolutely can give advice, not only to him, but to the family as well. And so there's a set of questions as we go down through here. Is there any indication he wants to stop? Have a good t- talk with the person most interested, usually his wife. I don't do that. I'm a sex addict. I don't do that. Get an idea of his behavior, not while he's acting out, not while he's drinking, not while he's drugging, when he's sober. What is your behavior like prior to you relapsing? So I want to know. I want to know about the high bottom. I want to know about the low bottom. And it doesn't take very long in going through this to find out where they're at. We we remember in, in chapter three of this book, we looked at Jim, a low bottom drunk. We looked at Fred. Fred's a high bottom drunk. So I don't care if you're high or you're low. It doesn't matter if you're from Yale or you're from jail. We suffer from the same thing, the disease of addiction, the obsession to the mind, the allergy to the body. That may have took me lower places than it ever took you, but guess what? We're the same, and that's what we're going to discover here. So if you can't identify with any of that stuff, then, you know, I might not be the guy to help you, but uh, there will be somebody that can take you through this book if you're willing. So that would be my answer to that question, Justin. Thank you. And thank you, David, for going through that. Very helpful. I love that interview process that you have introduced me to and I'm starting to use in my own recovery world. So perfect. Thank you so much. All right. So I'm going to ask about takeaways now. Uh, Nikki, what's something from our conversation today uh, that you've taken away that you will apply in your own recovery and in your own world? I guess my takeaway is today the book is just keeps repeating itself again as David did so, you know, so great, David, just breaking us down each step on page 13 there. And um, it's just it's just a rinse and repeat. It's so how about my takeaway like this? It's simple, but not easy. Very, very simple. But this is not easy, friends. So just stay. And just perform this work well with us. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. David, same question for you. What's the takeaway that you have here? Yeah, absolutely. Page 13, asking only. 
I'm out here praying all of these things. Help me, show me, bless me, help me do this, do that. Bless this. And but no, my book says I am to sit quietly when in doubt. Not up here making a lot of noise. Asking only for direction and strength to meet my problem as he would have me. That's the takeaway that I want to continue to remember day by day. It's not what do I have to do? It's what would you have me be? And one of the things he would have me be is silent because I can't hear God when I'm talking. I just can't. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, my takeaway uh, is that, well, in what we've read the last couple of episodes here, Bill has had this massive spiritual experience. He's um, feeling on fire. He's about ready to go in and have to his third step there in the hospital. He doesn't know that yet, but I, I take away that, even after sitting at the kitchen table with Abby and having this awakening, he still found it wise to go to the hospital where he was separated at the last time. Treatment seemed wise. I need to be separated from whatever my drug of choice or non-choice may be. I need to have that drying out period, that hospitalization period, no matter how strong that spiritual awakening may have been, that experience, not awakening experience may have been, I still need to separate from that drug. And that's my takeaway. Um, thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening in. Once again, if you want to connect with David, Nikki, or myself, send an email to rico12pod at gmail.com. We'd be happy to 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 interact with you and and, and see where things could go. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to sit around this table with these two beautiful humans. They enrich my life and you out there in the audience also enrich our lives. All right. Keep coming back, everybody. It does. It works when you work it. It's simple. It's not easy. And you're worth it. So work it, dang it.